The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Lost one to a wide open Kittle at the 20, the 10, and the cutback for six. Touchdown, Iowa. Unbelievable play design, and they get it to one of their top targets, George Kittle. And it is just the second time in school history that they have put together a 99-yard scoring drive. Big stop for the defense leads to a 99-yard drive. When in doubt, get it to the big tight end, rumbling, <laughs> stumbling down the field, making a big play. Hello everyone, this is John Patchett and welcome to the football show from Hawkeye's Mike. This is our new Reporter's Notebook podcast featuring Steve Batterson who looks back at the Hawks' Big Ten road win at Rutgers and previews this week's Northwestern game. And you'll hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Northwestern's Pat Fitzgerald. This Hawkeye's Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which includes sports reporter Scott Docterman of landof10.com and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times, plus our own Tyler Chumeland and Jack Bransgard. Game highlights are courtesy of ESPN2 with announcers Beth Mowens and Anthony Brecht. We appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeye's mic programs are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years. The Iowa Hawkeyes return to Kinnick Stadium this Saturday to take on the Northwestern Wildcats in the annual homecoming game. It's the second conference game for both teams and an important game in the Big Ten West. In recent years, the Iowa-Northwestern rivalry has become one of the more intense in conference play. The Hawkeyes are 3-1, 1-0 in the Big Ten following last week's win at Rutgers. Iowa has defeated Miami of Ohio, Iowa State, and Rutgers, but was upset at home by FCS defense champion North Dakota State. The Wildcats are coming off a very successful 10-2 regular season last year, but they've struggled so far in 2016. They are just 1-3, 0-1 in the Big Ten, despite playing their first four games at home in Evanston. Northwestern's only win this season was against Duke, their losses to Nebraska, Western Michigan, and Illinois State. Iowa leads the all-time series 50-24-3, but recent history suggests the two teams have been much more evenly matched, while the Hawkeyes have won four of the last five meetings, including 40-10 last year in Evanston. Prior to that, the Wildcats had won five of six. So, overall, in the last 11 games, that means Northwestern has won six and Iowa just five. Iowa's home record against the Wildcats is 26-9, including the last three games played in Kinnick Stadium. The Hawkeyes have also won six of their last seven homecoming games, and overall, homecoming play has yielded a 57-42-5 record, and that includes last year's 29-20 victory over Illinois. Iowa has played homecoming games 10 times against Northwestern, winning seven of those contests. Also of note, Iowa's 50 victories over the Wildcats are the most for the Hawkeyes against any Big Ten team. 
Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Northwestern's Pat Fitzgerald are the two longest-tenured Big Ten head football coaches. Ferentz has led the Hawkeyes 18 years with a record of 130-88. and 88. He is eighth in the conference in overall coaching wins, and he's seventh in Big Ten victories. Kirk is just four wins away from tying Michigan's Lloyd Carr for sixth. Fitzgerald is in his 11th season, heading up the Wildcats program with a record of 71-59, and 59, including 36-45 and 45 in the Big Ten. Iowa currently has a conference-best nine-game regular season winning streak. The last time the Hawkeyes won 10 in a row was the 2001-2002 season. Iowa also holds a seven-game Big Ten game winning streak on the road. That's the longest under Ferentz. In tidbits and nuggets, Iowa quarterback C.J. Beathard is now 16-3 as a starter, including a perfect 10-0 in conference regular season play. He's 10-1 in games played at Kinnick. Beathard also engineered his fourth fourth quarter game-winning drive in last week's Rutgers game. Running back Akram Wadley has excelled when playing the Wildcats. Last year in Evanston, he recorded career highs in carries with 26, rushing yards with 204, and four touchdowns. Wadley has two games under his belt versus Northwestern. His combined stats in those, 41 carries, 310 yards, five touchdowns. And by the way, Iowa is 8-0 overall when Wadley scores at least one touchdown in a game. Iowa suffered a major loss when its leading wide receiver Matt Vandenberg was injured in practice this week. He's out for the year. Vandenberg ranks 10th in the Big Ten, averaging 71 receiving yards a game. He's tied for 19th in school history with 106 receptions. Filling this void will be critical to Iowa's success for the balance of the season. More about that later. In Big Ten and NCAA notes, this is the first full week of Big Ten play and all 14 schools will be in action. Last week saw Wisconsin simply over overpower Michigan State and East Lansing. It wasn't so much that the Badgers won that game, but the 30-6 final score was certainly surprising, as was the manner in which they did it. Wisconsin travels to the state of Michigan for the second consecutive week this Saturday, playing the Wolverines in Ann Arbor. It's a huge game for both teams, and it will have implications for both Big Ten divisions. Another game of interest will be Minnesota at Penn State, which was humiliated last week by Michigan but playing in Happy Valley is always a tough task, and we should have a better sense of how good the Golden Gophers might be after this contest. Remember, Iowa travels to Minnesota a week from Saturday. Oh, this is awkward. I'm going to walk uh, I'm going to walk this situation off and I will see you later. Nothing to look at. Go back to work, everyone. Don't act like you're not impressed. Wadley is in a tailback. He'll get the call. Running left. Finding some room. Scooting down the sideline. Touchdown, Hawkeyes, as they cash in the turnover. Just a heck of a job finding that small opening to make that big run. Junior from Newark, New Jersey. 12 carries, 84 yards, and the touchdown to give Iowa the lead. Wadley's homecoming in New Jersey, and he doesn't disappoint with the touchdown run down the sidelines. Let's hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First up, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz, who talks about the next man in mentality following injuries that worked out so well last year at Northwestern. 
Well, that was probably the, the highlight of the year uh, that way because uh, that's when things were really kind of hitting it uh, pretty good. But, you know, that's one thing I'll, I'll always remember about last year's football team is that uh, typically when you have a really good season, you know, things go pretty cleanly on the injury front. And last year that was hardly the case. And, uh, you know, Jordan Kanzari getting injured during the game kind of is a, uh, you know, showcase example of that. So, uh, but good teams find a way to win. They find a way to be successful. They find a way to adjust. And uh, it involves other people, you know, picking up the rope a little bit when, uh, when something happens. So, you know, we're confident that'll happen. Uh, you know, ironically, you know, Jay Shiel was doing really well. Then he got injured. Uh, fortunately, now he's coming back. So, you know, hopefully this would be, be wonderful to have everybody at full speed, but it just doesn't seem to work out that way. Ference was asked what he needs to see out of his other wide receivers now that starter Matt Vandenberg is out for the year. I just have to play, you know, just have to play and play consistently. And uh, there's nothing magical about it other than just, you know, uh, working hard out there, just like Matt did when he was coming up, you know, and he is an established player, quote unquote, established player. We don't have a lot of those guys, but, you know, Matt's a guy you, you really knew what you're going to get. He came into his own, I think, last year, hit stride and really gained a lot of confidence. And, you know, you, you can't hand confidence to people there in that. And he did it through uh, really playing well last year. I think that carried over this season. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the race everybody runs as a player. You know, you're trying to gain that confidence. With a third of the regular season in the books and his team struggling somewhat, Ference was asked if he knows what Iowa's identity is this year. It, it's always uh, developing. Yeah, I mean, gen, in broad-based terms, yeah, I think we know who we are, what we want to be. You know, when you do have injuries or things that do happen, certainly you lean a little bit left, lean a little bit right. But uh, for, the, for the most part, we know who we are, what we want to be. And uh, you're always trying to work on the chemistry. You know, go back to last year. Uh, in this game, you know, you, you uh, come in without LaShawn. You lose Kanzari early. So, you know, is that going to impact you, affect you? Sometimes you may have to, to go away from the run. And fortunately, uh, Akram stepped up and did a great job. But you know, those, those are the variables you deal with every season every week and uh, you know you try to go from there but I think we know what we want to do P- part of our identity is not making critical errors and you know I just alluded to two of them that have you know affected in my mind it really impacted our our offensive football team but yeah it's hard to be a good offensive team if you don't have the consistency and play cleanly. Ference was asked if the story of Akram Wadley stepping in at Northwestern last season and excelling can be used as motivation for the other wideouts this year in Vandyberg's absence. I think we've had him, you know, I'm go, I can go back 17 years and give you one every year, at least one every year. First guy that always come to mind is, mind is Sam Brownlee, who's sitting way in the back of the room in August, and next thing you know, he's in there, our full-time back in 2004. So, you know, we, we've had a lot of those, and that's, uh, you know, it's really disappointing again for the individual players work so hard to get out there and play that's what they want to do and uh in football you only get 12 chances so it's not like you know you got 160 games so that, that's the disappointing part and just uh, on a personal basis you know when you're around around young people that have worked hard you know the commitment they've made uh to see them deal with that that that's not a lot of fun and our training staff does a great job and they're with them during the lonely hours of the rehab all that kind of stuff where they're away from their teammates so that that's a hard part about it. and that's something i'm sure fans can't appreciate and i don't know why they wouldn't because they're they're not around it family members get it because they're they're hearing it on the phone or, you know, I mean, it's like your own kids, right? You know, when they're disappointed, you feel bad for them. But yeah, but we've, we've had a lot of good stories and that's, that's how you got to look at it as an opportunity. It's, it's like anything. Anytime there's a setback, you got an opportunity to get back on your feet. Ferentz addresses the issue of missed calls by his defense, particularly against the run. It's football. I mean, it's just part of the part of the game out there. There's a lot going on. Motion, communication, checks just like we check on offense, we check on defense. So, you know, typically if it just if it, one guy doesn't get the call, it could be it could be bad. One good thing about defense, sometimes they don't find you when you blow something. But uh, on offense, usually it shows up, and on defense, not always. But when it does, it it's pretty obvious. Like, poop, there goes the ball, and uh, you know what happened. 
And usually, it, it, it's kind of like those two penalties. It usually is a matter of like, you know, just inches or a foot or two as opposed to, and then you pay for it. So, you know, it's, uh, it's one of the challenges. There's a lot going on out there, a lot of communication. And tell our guys all the time, you know, if everybody's on playing the same call, it may not be the best call, but at least if everybody's on playing the same call, you got a chance. Uh, it's kind of like play calls. I mean, if everybody just does what they're supposed to do, it may not be the best play, but at least you got a chance to make it successful. But when you got a little bit of a, you know, split court there, it's not a good thing. And Kirk was asked once again about the controversy surrounding protests by players during the playing of the national anthem. I, I actually, uh, coincidentally, I talked to our leadership group about that on Sunday and just, you know, wanted to make sure we we're all together, how they feel. And uh, I think the guys, I think we're all together, you know, just, uh, again, my personal, and this is my personal feeling, uh, it's not a mandate, but to me, when we're in a, involved in a team activity, you know, we do things the same. You know, we dress the same on game day. Players dress one way, coaches dress the other, but we're all uniform, we're all together, just like the swarm. You know, that's what that's all about. And, uh, but when we walk out of this building, you know, as long as guys are lawful, you know, moral and all those kinds of things. That, you know, that's life. I mean, you know, everybody's got opinions about things, you know, religiously, politics, all that stuff. And, you know, I'm, I'm all for that. And especially for college, you know, college guys, I mean, you know, you're thinking about stuff. That's all good. You know, I'm all for it. That's part of growing up. And that never ends, quite frankly. But, uh, you know, when we're doing this, we got to be together. And that's just, that's, I don't know if that's old school, new school, whatever. But uh, to me, that's, that's how team activities ought to be. And then we all, all got to be respectful of each other and our personal lifestyles, our preferences, all that kind of stuff. And that, that's that's one of the beauties of football, in my opinion. You got 100 plus guys, plus a bunch of adults running around here, but we're all kind of together on one one thing, one area. And then, yeah, you know, when we walk out, hey, we're all different. And that's that's good. That's healthy. Next, we hear from Northwestern head coach Pat Fitzgerald, who was asked if getting out on the road might actually be a good thing for his team at this point in time, but how tough it will be to play at Iowa. I think it's uh, there's always some camaraderie that uh, comes together when you're on the road. Uh, we'll we'll kind of wheels up at about four or about eleven o'clock on Friday morning and head out to Iowa City. And yeah, the guys get to spend some more quality time with each other, and uh, there's no doubt about that. But no, I'd always prefer to play at home if I had a choice. Uh, but uh, you know, this is this will be definitely a, a, a great challenge and a huge first test. Uh, you know, see how our guys handle it. I mean, they're, they're not going to play in a tougher environment than Kinnick, so it'll be a great challenge. Obviously, tough uh, trip. Uh, one of the cathedrals of college football out of Kinnick, tough place to play. They've got great fans uh, and, and terrific support. Coach Ferrant and his staff have done an outstanding job. Uh, you know, Greg and, and uh, Phil have been with them for five years now, and it's just coordinators. And you know, Kirk's the dean of the, dean of the Big Ten, 18th year, uh, and, and has done just an absolutely terrific job. Really impressed uh, with how hard they're playing. And it's Iowa. I mean, they do what they do, and they do it very well. They're well coached. They're schematically outstanding, and and um, they've got very talented football players. You compound that with uh, the home field advantage that they have. This will be a, a terrific test for us. Fitz was asked if his coaching style has changed at all yet this season. I haven't changed my coaching style. I've been coaching the guys hard. I mean, I've gone through the plan that I typically go through each each year, tweak it based on the team, based at, based on our health. But my routine through training camp, my routine through the first month of the season probably hasn't changed a whole heck of a lot in the last maybe eight years, maybe nine years. And then you f- you figure out what your team is after you watch them play, and uh, then you, you kind of evolve and change. But I think we practice pretty hard around here. Fitzgerald has been facing some heat from Northwestern fans, probably the first time in his career as Northwestern head coach, and some pressure to make changes on his staff, which he has resisted. He talks about the benefit of having the same coaching staff in place for an extended period of time. 
Yeah, well, I think first of all, you know, I'll go back to my playing days. You know, I had the privilege to play for the same coaching staff and we won back-to-back Big Ten championships. And I think there was great camaraderie within the locker room with the players and the coaches. I, I think we were all on the same page. I think we all understood the same expectations. You know, I think we were able to battle through a lot of things together. You know, now that I've been in, in this leadership role, you know, you, you see the trials and tribulations that you go through every day. And I think you you have to have the right people in place. I think it's people that are driven for the right reasons. Why do you coach? Do you coach to develop and teach and, and make people better? Do you, are you about the right things on and off the field? Are you the right character man? Uh, schematically, are we doing the right things? Are we doing the right research? Are we teaching the right things? Are you building the type of, type of relationships with players uh, that are going to make them better and things of that nature? Uh, so, you know, I, I've typically looked at it from that standpoint. Uh, and then I look at the body of work, you know, and I've been blessed. I mean, Jerry's been my assistant head coach now the whole time. He's been here 24 years. He's the all-time winningest assistant coach in program history. He's mentored and developed a ton of guys. You know, he and Mick and, and Hank are part of the leadership team, kind of the two coordinators and the assistant head coach. You know, we've won more football games than any other staff in program's history. So uh, I think we've had great success. You know, we've graduated 100% of our guys. They're all doing incredibly amazing things. You know, I look at it holistically. I always have, and, and I think I always will continue to do that. Do I always think that we can be better? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that starts and ends with me. I'm the leader of the ship. I, I think we've attracted, recruited, and retained with great generosity and support from the university, just a terrific group of men and a terrific group of coaches. And I'm very thankful for their loyalty, not only to the program, but to our players. I'm very thankful for their families, and I'm very thankful for the job that they do. The team's identity this season has been a discussion point for both squads in Saturday's contest, as we heard just a few moments ago from Kirk Ferentz. Fitzgerald addresses the same question of what his team's identity is through its first four games. Well, I think we were pretty inconsistent in the first couple games. Um, and so trying to solidify that consistency, and I, I still don't think we're there yet, you know, comes from repetition, obviously, and that doesn't change. But, you know, making sure that the situations we're putting our guys in practice are as competitive as they possibly can be because the, the issue wasn't necessarily practice per, all the time, maybe one practice uh, I, I didn't like throughout the whole time that we've been together with this group. The, the, the issue's been game execution, so trying to put them in as, as realistic type game ex, uh, practice situations as we can from a standpoint of intensity. We'll always do it situational football. Everybody does that. But from an intensity standpoint, probably, you know, especially the last two weeks after we got a train out of training camp mode, probably haven't had the this intensive practices in maybe five years or so, I would guess. So that's probably what's changed. Nickel package is in now for Iowa. Radiano protected in the pocket, but the completion will be well short and were they able to dig the ball out? Iowa with the strip. Brandon Snyder, and there's the turnover. Took it away from Andre Patton. Yeah, tight quarters here. Snyder's fighting with him. He's gripping that ball, and he just knocks it out. Snyder's been a big hitter on this team right there. Very smart for him to get that ball when it was placed high on his body to scrape it out. Just after you had mentioned how important it was that Rutgers hadn't turned it over, and they do. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. (laughs) How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on up to 10 washings, moisturizes, alcohol-free, and safe for the kids. So go ahead, touch anything and everything. Ooh, a toilet. Prefins, keep your hands germ-free all day. 
Time now for our weekly Reporter's Notebook show, this week with Steve Batterson. You can read Steve's articles in the Quad City Times and online at qctimes.com. You can also follow Steve on Twitter, at sbat79. Steve looks back at the win over Rutgers in New Jersey, and he previews this Saturday's game against Northwestern. Steve, as usual, before we turn to the Iowa-Northwestern game, let's take one last look back, close the book on the Rutgers contest. 14-7 win, it wasn't pretty, it was close. Closer than most people would have probably preferred. However, given the Big Ten's new scheduling where this year West Division teams only have four home games, five on the road, any Big Ten road win is very important. Yeah, that, there, there's a little gold there. And uh, yeah, it was a win. And I think that's uh, uh, the main thing Iowa went there to get and they brought that home. So, you know, they continued their Big Ten win streak. And uh, you're right, it wasn't a pretty game, but it, it certainly was a, a win that uh, coming off of a loss to North Dakota State it was a win that Iowa desperately needed. Turning out of the Northwestern game, it's homecoming. The big news, of course, in Iowa football this week is the Matt Vandenberg injury. It has him out for the season. We're going to spend quite a bit of time talking about that here as we go along, but focusing on the offense overall, NDSU run offense was awful. It seemed to regain its form somewhat, at least, against Rutgers. 34 yards against the Bison, 193 rushing yards against Rutgers. That was certainly helped by the return of uh, Sean Welsh and James Daniels on the offensive line. And while Iowa's average per rush is five yards, which is 36th in the FBS, it's still 115th overall in rushing attempts per game. Yeah, it certainly hasn't been as effective, I think, as Iowa anticipated it being heading into this season. You know, there's there's a, several reasons for that. I mean, the absence of, of James Daniels and, and Sean Welsh certainly uh, a part of that. Uh, Akramwabe's knee early on was a part of that. Uh, and the absence of Derek Mitchell, I think, has been a factor, too. Kind of one of those quiet factors that doesn't get talked about a lot. But I, I think that, uh, you know, the Hawkeyes have had a lot of moving pieces here the first few weeks of the season. And and I think that probably has impeded the growth of, uh, of the run game uh, to a degree. And, uh, you know, it looks like most of those pieces are back in place now. Mitchell's back at practice and supposedly is in the mix for this week's game against Northwestern on Saturday. So, you know, I, I think some positives. I, I think they took maybe a small stepped forward last week. Uh, Wadley ran the ball well, had, had a nice homecoming situation where uh, you know, he was able to score the game-winning touchdown and, and was able to uh, to really compliment what, what Iowa got from LaShawn. Uh, and uh, CJ ran okay, too. He, he carried 10 times, and uh, he did say that only two of those were probably uh, called plays, but uh, uh, it was good to see him move the ball forward as well. And uh, It was one of those things where Iowa didn't was it quite firing on all cylinders? They were able to sustain some drives. The 99-yard touchdown drive was a was a thing of beauty. There were some great play calls in that that kind of made it all work. And, uh, you know, the type of effort that you see the potential. Uh, what we haven't seen is the consistency. So that's kind of the next step. A little footnote relating to the rushing attempts per game. It's not just running. I was run the least number of plays from the line of scrimmage in the FBS among teams that have played four games. Now, you can explain part of that by their explosive play plays. They've been pretty successful so far this season in that regard, but that's still kind of an odd stat. Yeah, and some of that comes from who, who they've played. North Dakota State does a really good job of, of you know, maintaining possession of the football and, and uh, um, you know, the, the, the possession time in a couple of games has been a little out of out of whack as well. And uh, when that happens, it, it does translate to, to some of the things we're talking about. I think, think they ran 49 plays from scrimmage against North Dakota State. And now, 
know, that, that that's about 20 plays less than 20 to 30 plays less, really, than, than what they would normally like to run. And that uh, that does impact things, no question about it. The other real positive that came out of the Rutgers game was a lot of the criticism against MDSU came in relation to the fact that Iowa, holding the lead late in the fourth quarter, couldn't sustain a drive to put the game away. But against Rutgers, where they had the seven-point lead as the clock was running down late, they gained two key first downs in that final drive to lock it up and clinch the win. A, a big stop and then, and then a nice drive to run out the clock. You know, Rutgers had, had burnt its last time out with about 12 minutes and 50 seconds left in the game. Uh, it was a result of, of them having 12 men on the field, and, and so Chris Ash felt that he had to take the timeout rather than the penalty, which also certainly played into Iowa's hands as well. But, uh, yeah, it was really good for Iowa to, to kind of run that four-minute offense and have some success doing so. In the 12-yard carry by, by LaShawn Daniels on, on a third and seven play to, to really seal the deal was was pretty significant. And, and uh, you know, it's the type of thing that uh, – you have those type of moments in games, and, and, and they do tend to carry over. I think the next time Iowa faces that situation, it has an opportunity to kind of build off of what transpired in, in this bad way. Yeah, one of the cool things about that LaShawn Daniels run that you just mentioned was he got a big block there from his brother, James. Yeah, it's the way it's supposed to work, and, and it did, which, uh, you know, I think that's kind of one of the neat things of having the two brothers playing together, and, and uh, certainly I think it was a big moment. Uh, LaShawn certainly was pretty excited about it post game and, and and I think Iowa's often should have been excited about it, too, because it, it, both uh, both that and the 99-yard drive in the final minutes of the first half were, were significant steps forward from what we'd seen. C.J. Beathard's now 16-3 and overall as Iowa's starting quarterback. And he had, for the fourth time in his career, he had a game-winning fourth-quarter drive in that Rutgers contest. But the Rutgers game was far from his best performance overall. He looked skittish at times. He did run the ball effectively, as you said, but most of them weren't called runs. And he missed some some pass plays that you would expect him normally to make. Yeah, that's, it's two weeks in a row that, that CJ hasn't had his best, and, and things have been a little wobbly, and we suspect that with uh, with Matt Vandenberg being out, that that may be a challenge to, to build on this week as well. So it has been a, kind of a one of those stretches where, where CJ has had some issues. He had one last year as well and kind of worked his way through it, and I think that's probably what will happen again this time around, but uh, for sure he, he's, uh, he's had better days. Uh, um, I, I do think that uh, they were able to connect on enough plays that uh, to get the job done, but it, it, it did lead to some inconsistency as well. No question. His completion percentage has dropped to 59%, but his rating is still pretty good, 152.31. And he's still averaging over 185 passing yards per game and has just thrown the one pick. So overall, you have to like where the quarterback situation is, but he has to do better, especially going into the string of, of really big West Division games. The running back duo of LaShawn Daniels and Akram Wadley is still very potent overall. They've combined for 575 rushing yards, seven touchdowns, and 144 rushing yards per game. While some teams get that out of one player, Iowa continues to get it out of two. And while they're different kinds of running backs, they're both very effective. Yeah, and, and I think that's probably what we're going to see continue. Uh, as long as both of those guys can stay healthy, I think the plan is to kind of continue to spread things around a little bit. And, uh, you know, there'll come a point in time when one of those guys is going to have a huge game and it'll 
would probably be countered by the other guy doing it, you know, a week or two later. But they do have two very effective backs, and, and I think that uh, one of the objectives this year is, is to keep those guys fairly healthy and fairly productive heading into the home stretch of the season. And, and the best way to do that now is to kind of limit their, their carries to a degree. But, uh, you know, I think one of the things that we saw last week was that, you know, LaShun had, had 13 carries and, and Ackerman ended up with 12, so it ended up being a pretty good balance situation. And, and I think it's something that uh, they're, they're getting comfortable with. Uh, there's some rotation from series to series, but there's also been ro- rotation within series. And, and I think that's probably a healthy thing for Iowa moving forward. They've also taken great care of the ball, too. Uh, you know, Bethard's one pick is, is the only turnover that Iowa has. There are five Big Ten teams right now that rank in the top 13 in the country with two or fewer turnovers so far this season, and Iowa is one of those teams. You mentioned the performance of the offensive line was better and crucial in Rutgers. It was so good, as a matter of fact, that Pro Football Focus rated it the seventh best in the FBS after the Rutgers game. You know, we, we continue to, to see some growth there, and, and it certainly is an area where there was room for improvement. Uh, I think it's one of those things that uh, the expectations for the group are pretty high. I think that they've probably, uh, probably underachieved a little bit uh, to this point, but uh, you know, I thought Boone Myers had a terrific game last week at uh, left guard. I thought that uh, you know against a Rutgers team that was really pretty ready to play, it was uh, maybe a little bit surprising how how uh, how well Rutgers did play. But uh, I think Chris Ash had his guys ready to go, and and uh, you know he's an Iowa guy, an Iowa native certainly. Uh, AJ Blazek, uh, the line coach there, is an Iowa alum. They felt like they had a chance to make a statement last week, and and uh, you know I, I think one of the bigger things that Iowa's going to take out of that game is just simply the fact that they're going to get everybody's best shot this year. The ability to realize that and to win, I think, is probably uh, probably not a bad thing. If you can learn a lesson in a situation like that, it's probably a good thing to have happen. Let's go back to the Vandenberg injury. He's out for the season. That's a huge loss for Iowa's offense because for Beathard, at least, he's been the go-to wide receiver. He's a key possession guy. Got a lot of first downs over his career at Iowa. Now you're looking at maybe three key things that need to happen here. First of all, obviously, the run game needs to step up a bit more to what Iowa fans have come to expect over the last few years. Second, you're going to need more production, I believe, out of the tight ends as a group beyond just George Kittle. He can't do it himself, and that's certainly been an issue for this team so far this season, and Kirk mentioned it the week before the Miami game, the opening game of the season, and it frankly doesn't seem to have gotten a whole lot better. And then, of course, the whole issue, which was the prime topic of discussion at Kirk's press conference on Tuesday is who's going to step up at wide receiver now with Vandenberg out and you've got some multiple choices and they all show some real promise and have shown flashes but one or more of them are going to have to come forward. Yeah uh, two of the big questions that this football team had going into the season were depth at tight end and depth at receiver and really four games into it there haven't been a lot of answers in either area and, and that is a little bit concerning I would say at this point in the season and then you know certainly George Carroll brings a, a terrific amount of talent and, and certainly pass catching ability to that position. You know, eventually somebody else is going to have to emerge there, whether it be Peter Picard or, uh, you know, maybe a John Wisniewski who's, who's working his way back from an injury. is not in the mix yet, but at least is back on the practice field. We'll, we'll see that over the next few weeks, how that plays out. And, you know, from a receiver standpoint, you're right. I mean, Germanic Smith had, had a terrific game against Illinois last year. Certainly has shown some sign of, of potential. You know, one of the things that uh, he needs to do is show some consistency. Riley McCarron has been able to uh, catch a few balls as well. He actually has one more career catch right now as, as a fifth-year senior.
junior than Smith, the sophomore, does. There's a huge drop-off that, that, that is going to have to be made up in, in some way here. Whether the, it's one of those two guys or maybe it's a healthier Jay Shield. He only has one catch in his career. Uh, or, or the unknown in, in the equation, Ronald Nash. Or, or the true freshman in, in Devante Young. Uh, or Ryan Boyle. There are a lot of names out there. And it, it's going to be interesting to kind of watch how this all fits together. Because this is one of those things where you know, there isn't really that next guy yet. And, uh, uh, you know, whoever steps up and kind of takes that role, I think, it's, you know, there's certainly going to be an opportunity for him to uh, to kind of step into the spotlight because uh, uh, Vandenberg was such an overwhelming presence with, with what he brought to this football team that uh, uh, the other guys really haven't had that much of an opportunity to make a major impact. Kirk and some of the other players, for that matter, seem to be high on Ronald Nash and to some degree Devontae Young, so fans should probably keep an eye on those two and the amount of playing time they get. I was struck by the college football symmetry of this. Last year when Iowa traveled to Evanston, they were down to no running backs other than Akram Wadley. And you talk about somebody stepping up. He had the breakout career game up there against Northwestern. So you have to wonder, will that kind of symmetry come into play? Will one or more of these wide receivers step up and have that kind of a similar performance without Matt Vandyberg on the field? Yeah, either individually or collectively, somebody's going to have to be that guy. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think they really know who it's going to be at this point. I think they probably have some ideas. And they said that uh, one of the things that Kirk brought up this week on Tuesday was, you know, that whoever performed well in practice on uh, this this week is certainly going to have an opportunity on Saturday. And that tells you a little bit right there that they're still looking for some answers too. And, and I think that uh, there probably is a solution within the roster. Uh, I thought one of the smarter things that he that he mentioned was, that, you know, this really isn't a time for panic. I mean, Iowa has receivers. It, it, it's not 2004 when they're, they're literally Sam Brownlee was the running back going into some games. Uh, beyond that, it, it became pretty problematic. Iowa has some bodies. Uh, it's just a matter of which one, uh, you know, who's going to take advantage of this opportunity. The other thought that came to mind for me was, you know, sometimes quarterbacks, even subconsciously, get into situations where they almost look too quickly for their go-to guy. And you wonder sometimes if that hasn't been the case of Bethard almost checking down or going too quickly to Vandyberg just because he's so reliable. You know, maybe one result out of this will be that Bethard will spread the ball around even more like has been the case when they've been very successful. I, I think there is some truth to that. I think, you know, you, ha- you have a safety blanket and, and, and you tend to rely on that. There, there's no doubt that over the past year and a half that uh, Vandenberg and, and Bethard have, have developed one of those relationships that, that, that have made, uh, you know, made it a very successful uh, combination, a passing combination. And, and I think that uh, you're right. I think that they, he will have to look in other directions. I think I was going to have to work to get the tight ends more involved. Uh, you know, we, we saw Brady Ross, uh, you know, rumble his way to a reception last week. And one of the things that Kirk brought up last week is, is that really the, the role of their fullback in the Iowa offense right now is more better suited in a receiving type role than it is a running type role. And and I think that, you know, whether it be Brady Ross or Drake Kulik, I think that there are some options there that uh, certainly will, uh, will factor in as well. Some interesting stats when you look at Iowa's offense versus Northwestern's defense. Well, Iowa's totaled 122 points through its first four games. Northwestern's only given up 68. Northwestern surrenders an average of 17 points a game. Iowa's getting 31 points a game. Some things to watch there, see how that plays out. It does appear that Northwestern's defense is somewhat susceptible to the run, giving up nearly 178 yards rushing per game. And even more in the past where they're giving up 257 yards per game. So there are opportunities 
opportunities there for Iowa's offense, but Northwestern's got a pretty solid defense here. It's a 4-3-D, and they're led by an excellent group of linebackers. Jalen Prater leads the Big Ten in tackles with 38. He's averaging nearly 10 tackles a game, and another linebacker, Anthony Walker, is fourth in the FBS last year in tackles for loss, so they're very solid there, and then they have a terrific safety named Godwin Igwebuke, if I can ever pronounce that correctly. He's yeah, averaging 9.3 tackles a game. He had 15 last week versus Nebraska. He also had a strip fumble at the goal line. He's second in the Big Ten with 36 tackles. He's third in the FBS, second in the Big, and 29 solo tackles, and he's had four double-digit tackles in the last six games. Now, that's a lot of numbers to throw around, but that says a lot about those three guys in particular. Yeah, absolutely. He also leads Northwestern with four tackles for a loss and four pass breakups. So uh, it seems like every year Northwestern has extremely active and, and uh, talented defensive guys, and, and this year is no no different. It starts up front as well. A couple of the Iowa players didn't hesitate to say that this will be the best front seven that they've seen so far this year. And, uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, there's some there's some legitimacy to that claim too. And uh, this is a Northwestern team that just in general has probably, not unlike Iowa, has maybe formed at a little bit lower of a level than, than what they anticipated heading into the season. I think they took some strides last week against Nebraska. And I, and I think it's, you know, kind of a situation, I think, where they, not unlike the Hawkeyes, are, they're looking for consistency. They're looking to kind of take that next step in their game. And to me, that's one of the more intriguing things about this matchup is you've got two teams that are pretty similar in terms of the number of statistics. And certainly that 4-3 uh, that defense is going to come ready to play at Kink. There's no doubt about that. After this break, Steve and I look at the matchup between Iowa's defense and the Wildcats' offense, special teams, and we talk Big Ten. Are you or your local Iowa company looking for a new roof or sheet metal work? TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal specializes in low-slope commercial and industrial roofing and sheet metal. Building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years, TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, located in Ely, Iowa, just south of Cedar Rapids, provides strong, expert customer service and the best quality fit for you, their customer. For a free estimate, give TNK a call at 319-848-4191 or toll free at 1-800-383-7663. You can also visit their brand new website at tkroofing.com. TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, your home for all your low slope roofing systems. Give them a call today. Again, 319 848 4191 or toll free at 1 800 383 7663. Let's take a look now at Iowa's defense versus Northwestern's offense. Overall, if you had to pick out one stat that jumps out at you, it's turnovers. Iowa's plus five. Northwestern is plus one. Iowa scored 35 points off of turnovers. Northwestern has zero so far this season. Turnovers and penalties have been an issue for the Wildcats, too. But they're 14th right now in the Big Ten in terms of scoring offense at the 16.3 points per game. They haven't shown the ability so far to put up a lot of points, unlike what 
we've seen out of some Northwestern offenses in the past. They have a second-year starting quarterback in Clayton Thorson. He's a typical dual-threat pass and run-read option. Uh, he has been prone to mistakes. The four picks was pretty good against Nebraska. 24 passes, 249 yards, one touchdown. He also had a rushing touchdown of 42 yards. He had a terrific game against Duke. He passed for 320 yards and three TDs. So he's certainly capable if he can step up. No question. And he's a big kid. I mean, he's 6'4", 220. He's a a quarterback that uh, certainly has not performed as well as probably they had hoped. He's a a guy that uh, they were counting on to to kind of really complement the the running game that Justin Jackson leads. You know, he he has not shown the ability to consistently complete passes, and that's been the biggest probably issue that they've had. The turnovers, certainly the four four picks, and one of them last week against Nebraska was very very untimely in the red zone, fairly close situation. Uh, He he completed 49% of his passes a year ago. He's he's raised that level to 53.2% so far this season. That's kind of a modest gain, but I guess it's a step in the right direction. He has one. He has the Big Ten's top target in Austin Carr. Northwestern has kind of gone back to they, they had there was a push there a year or two ago to kind of go to more taller, bigger receivers. They've kind of changed their philosophy there, and and, and it started last spring, and they're, they're going back to more guys who can just catch the football. And and you know Austin Carr is a guy that leads the Big Ten right now with receptions and 392 receiving yards. And, you know, he's going to be a big part of what they do, and if he if he and Thorson can kind of get on the same page, which which has been kind of an inconsistent kind of thing, it certainly bodes well for Northwestern. Let's talk some more about wide receiver Austin Carr. I think most teams would be happy to have him. You mentioned some of his stats. He's averaging 98 yards receiving per game, which is second in the conference play, and he's also second in touchdown receptions with three. He's perhaps a bit like Vandenberg in, in terms of how he plays out a scheme, the Northwestern offensive scheme. He's kind of a possession receiver. He can catch the ball in traffic. He's kind of their go-to guy, and he makes a lot of critical first down plays of his 28 receptions. 18 of those have gone for first down so far this season. We've got some other guys around him, too, that can, uh, can help. And, and Justin Jackson has kind of grown his game, too, in terms of being able to catch the football, too. So there will be a lot of things that I was going to have to worry about, but uh, keeping their eyes on Austin Carr will be right at the top of the list. Kirk had high praise for their running back, Justin Jackson. He's a good runner, blocker, receiver. He's got the ability and shown it so far this season to break big plays. He has four rushing touchdowns, 339 yards total rushing so far this season. Believe it or not, when you go back in history, he's trying to become the first ever running back at Northwestern to have three straight 1,000-yard seasons. He's, a, he's been a workhorse in that offense for a couple of years. And one of the things that Pat Fitzgerald wanted to try to do this season was make him a little bit less of a workhorse. Uh, I believe he led the nation last year in, in carries. And, uh, you know, one of the things that they're trying to do is, or hoping to do, is to kind of spread things around a little more offensively. That hasn't happened, and I think some of that is kind of a reflection on where this offense is right now, that they haven't felt comfortable enough to kind of spread things out maybe the way they anticipated. But you're right, Justin Jackson is a terrific running back, and he's one of those guys that if, if he gets a hot hand, he's certainly capable of beating you a number of ways. Iowa did a terrific job on him defensively a year ago. I think he ended up with 30 yards on 10 carries or 18 carries, something like that. It was it was nothing spectacular whatsoever. And You know, the Hawkeyes will need that type of effort again. They have to find a way to kind of take him out of the game. If they can do that, it certainly plays into their hands. Let's turn to special teams here. Some interesting things going on in that regard. I think you still have to continue to give Iowa special teams an A-plus through its first four games. They've been the most consistent aspect of the team's play, and you 
zero in right off the bat on punter and kickoff specialist Ron Caluzzi. He was named Big Ten Special Teams Player of the Week this week for his continuing outstanding performance versus Rutgers, and he deserved it. You can argue he's the team's MVP so far. His punts have been high. They've been well-placed. Been really essentially no returns. He's averaging 43 yards per punt on his 10 punts. His kickoffs, for the most part, have been touchbacks, and he's effectively limiting, if not taking them completely out of the game, opponents' punt and kick return games. It was huge at Rutgers. I mean, yeah, although Janarian Grant left midway through the game with an injury, that has been such a big part of what Rutgers have been doing. It, to be able to neutralize them in that part of the game really helped play into Iowa's hands. It's, on a day when field possession and ball control was, was kind of important in, in kind of a grinded-out type of game, the way that he was able to kind of do take his foot and, and, and turn that into a major factor for Iowa uh, certainly uh, was was beneficial. He uh, had a chance to talk with him after the game on, on Saturday, and you know he, he was not satisfied with his performance. He felt that there was some things that he left out on the field, and he had a couple of wobbly punts that, that uh, I'm sure he'd like to have back. And, you know, that, that's a good thing. Uh, I think that uh, been ter- as terrific as he's been, he still finds room for growth in his game, and I think that's something that, uh, you know, it will only help as the weather turns from September nice into October and November in the Midwest. And, uh, you know, that roller coaster ride that France was kind of fearful of, of riding in, in the kicking and punting games uh, early in the season, that hasn't uh, transpired at all. Closey is one of the few punters you see, too, who will also not only have the traditional punting style, but occasionally, if the circumstances call for it in the field position, he'll employ that rugby-style punting. So that's kind of an interesting aspect. Place kicker Keith Duncan has been perfect, 17 of 17 in PATs, but he's only had one field goal attempt. Kirk's uh, forgotten trying to kick field goals, even inside, deep inside the red zone, for instead going for it on fourth down. It was a costly decision at the Rutgers game there, early in that game. Iowa's averaging just over 20 field goal attempts under Kurt Ferentz, but the lowest was 13 in 1999. He may break that this year if he keeps this up. Well, certainly. Uh, you know, and, and when you look at it, they really haven't been in a, in a, in a terrific number of, of positions where, where maybe it would have made sense to try a field goal. Certainly the fourth and five at the 10 the other day was, was one of those spots where he thought, okay, well, they're going to trot him out here and, and, and try to put three on the board. The game was scoreless at the time, but I think two things were coming in to play there. I think one, I think they wanted to show some confidence in an offense that uh, probably needed a confidence boost at that time. And I also think that they felt that Rutgers wasn't good enough offensively to move the ball 90 yards. Uh, as it turned out, they were good enough to move at 89, and that was good enough. But uh, but it was one of those things that I, I think there were a couple things at play there. But uh, yeah, it would be interesting to see Keith Duncan get a few more opportunities. And talking with Ron Paluzzi on Tuesday, one of the things that he said, and he sees him every day in practice, is is that the kid does have a good leg and, and that uh, that he's sure that whenever that opportunity comes, the kid is going to probably perform well. What we don't know is, is uh, you know, if there are some other things at play there or with, within the unit that may be, you know, factoring in in terms of confidence as well. But, uh, yeah, it, this, it's been a little strange to be four games into the season and only have one field goal attempted. But, uh, you know, I, I, in some respects, he, he's allowed him to kind of settle in and get used to what uh, college football is all about. And, and uh, so maybe when he does get that chance, so whether it be from uh, 22 again or, or if it's a little deeper, uh, you know, maybe he'll be ready to perform. We'll see. On the other hand, you have a Northwestern team that probably its biggest concern right now, a lot of talk about that up in Evanston this week and by Pat Fitzgerald, is their place kicking, which has been very
very inconsistent. They have a two-year starter in Jack Mitchell, but Fitzgerald said he was going to have an open competition this week because there are just too many misses. Uh, Mitchell was one for four on the season. Uh, got to the point that he also missed an extra point try as well against Nebraska last uh, last weekend. It was one of those things that uh, uh, it got to the point against the Cornhuskers where they opted to go for a fake try that uh, you know was was uh, successful in, in terms of completing the pass, but it didn't uh, it didn't lead to a touchdown. So I guess from that perspective, it wasn't. But yeah, you're right. Mike Mikucci is is uh, competing uh, this week with with Jack Mitchell and uh, Fitzgerald said earlier this week that whoever had the best week was going to be the guy that was going to uh, will, will take the field at Kinnick. So uh, it may be one of those situations where that they just simply are, are you know they're a little perplexed. I think they expected more out of Mitchell and and uh, he just simply hasn't performed at the level that uh, they anticipated. Back to Iowa, of course, Desmond King continues to be very effective in both punt returns and kick returns. And in fact, he's 15th in the nation in kick return average at 30.0, uh, second in the Big Ten. But Northwestern's uh, kick returner is pretty dangerous too. Wide receiver Solomon Vault, he was a running back last year. He switched over to wide receiver this year. He's had two 30-plus yard kick returns so far, one against Nebraska, one against Western Michigan, and he's third in the conference with 25.3 average. Yeah, you know, he's had a 37-yarder, so I mean, he's providing some some success in that area of the game, and I think that that's probably one of those things that both teams have some potential there. Uh, you know, you kind of keep waiting for Desmond to bust one at some point, but that hasn't happened yet, and you know, I think that uh, terrific as he's been, I think his excitement would come from, from uh, being able to, to end up in the end zone at some juncture, but I think both teams probably feel pretty good about where things are at in, in, in that segment of the game. Before we get your prediction, let's talk just a moment or two about the Big Ten. All 14 schools are in action this week. Again, the Big Ten, a full slate of games. Some interesting results last week. Michigan just pounded the heck out of Penn State. Wisconsin in a huge win, won at East Lansing over Michigan State. I think the surprise there, maybe not so much that they won, although that was surprisingly enough. It was their margin of victory, 30-6. to And of course, Nebraska defeated Northwestern in a, in a Big Ten West. This week, you have Wisconsin again playing the big game at Michigan, and then you also have Minnesota at Penn State, which might tell you a little bit more about both of those teams. Yeah, I, I think so. Wisconsin has been terrific defensively, and, and I think that that's uh, you know that was the one thing that really jumped off the page at me, at me against with with their performance against Michigan State, their ability to do what they were able to do against uh, uh, you know a pretty solid Michigan State team was impressive. Penn State had some in injury issues. They've uh, their linebacking core has, has just been decimated by injuries here over the last two three weeks, and they've actually had five guys already start or play at, at middle linebacker, and uh, it's at a point where James Franklin is is moving safeties into the linebacker positions and that type of thing. Their depth is so impacted at this juncture. And if Minnesota were to be able to go out there and find a way to to win a game, uh, it certainly would create a, a heck of a matchup potentially next week in Minneapolis, and and also uh, you know let everybody in the West know that Gophers team is for real. There's certainly some potential there, and you know it, it it's another interesting matchup. There's a couple of you know Michigan has been putting a ton of points on the board. Wisconsin's been pretty stingy on the other end of it. I think that uh, you know that that too will be a terrific game. So the the 2:30 slot on Saturday afternoon is going to be a very interesting time in the Big Ten, especially you know how it bodes in in terms of what's going to happen down the road here in the West Division. All right, back to Iowa Northwestern. It's the Hawkeyes' first Big Ten West Division head-to-head matchup. I think it's probably safe to say, at least right now, the confidence level of a lot of people 
people's picks isn't quite as high as maybe as it would have been prior to the North Dakota State University game. But what's your thinking here about Iowa Northwestern? Yeah, I, I think that this is uh, as we talked a little earlier. You know, it's two teams that are that are still kind of searching for an identity, and think that uh, Iowa being at home, I think, is certainly an advantage. I, I do think it's going to be uh, you know somewhat lower scoring game maybe than what we've seen the past couple of years when Iowa has just been able to to uh, to pound Northwestern. I, I think it was 40, 48 to seven two years ago and forty to ten last year in Evanston. But uh, you know I think this will probably be more in the in the realm of a, of a, a twenty four to, to fourteen kind of game. I think that uh, uh, you know we might actually get to see Keith Duncan out on the field having a chance to make a difference in in a, in a tighter game and and that would be a good thing I think for him and for the Hawkeyes. But uh, you know I I, I think that uh, this is a game that will probably go into the second half. I think that Northwestern is, uh, you know, they've kind of reached that uh, that desperation mode in terms of, of, of having kind of one of those early season must-win type situations. And I think Iowa needs another W to, to kind of build off of a somewhat improved performance last week. And, you know, the key to that will be their ability to kind of stop the run game again. And it comes down to, to finding a way to limit Justin Jackson and, and, and what Thorson can do with his feet. My advice to you, start drinking heavily. The Iowa Hawkeyes come through in the fourth quarter. The forced fumble and the recovery by Brandon Snyder. And that set up Akram Wadley back home in North Jersey for the 26-yard touchdown run. Hawkeyes will go home to play Northwestern. Rutgers at Ohio State next week. And Kirk Ferentz and Iowa hard fought on the road, but they will take the win and run with it. 14-7 over Rutgers. Just a reminder, you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawkeyes. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the News and Events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes. And you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, and Facebook. Our thanks again to ESPN2 for the game highlights this week, and thanks as always to Steve Batterson. We hope you've enjoyed this program. All Hawkeyes Mike podcasts are available and can be subscribed to on iTunes, Overcast, and other podcasting apps. HawkeyesMike.com, podcasting 10 years of original programming on Iowa athletics. It's all Hawkeyes, all the time, on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.